0: What we just sang is the, the desire of my heart this morning is that we would see Christ and that we would confess that He is Lord, and that we would do that through a better understanding of Your Word. As we come together and, and seek to worship You through Your Scriptures, we've sung songs this morning that are about You and to You, full of your word, and now as we we look to your word specifically in this time together, may your, your Holy Spirit be pleased to move in the hearts and the minds of all those here this morning that we all would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone here and listening online that they would know Christ, your Son, is the Redeemer and the one by which all we may turn to be saved. We ask these things in his mighty name. Amen. This morning I am not unaware today is December 31st, New Year's Eve day. And if you're anything like me, you might be thinking about this is the time of year to start making some changes, maybe evaluating and assessing your life, setting new goals or new resolutions for for the new year. So with that in mind, I'd like to deviate from the Sermon on the Mount. if you have your Bible, please join me in the book of Colossians. We're going to look at chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. And my modest goal this morning is, is knowing that many of you might be setting goals or making plans for the new year. But what are some good spiritual goals? How should we think about growth and development in the Christian life? And tucked away in this this prayer of Paul is a model for the things that we should pursue in our daily lives and our walk with the Lord. That's what I'd like to look at together with you this morning. So if you're there in chapter 1, verse 9, let me read you verses 9 through 14. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So the letter opens with Paul giving some encouragement to the church at Colossae in in the first eight verses. And and now in verse 9, Paul is is turning to, to describe what he prays for when he prays for this church. And this is a dense, rich description of what it is Paul would want God to do for this group of believers. And I would argue he'd want it for us as well. This was written to a church, but all churches can benefit from it. So what we see in verse 9, at the beginning of it, is that he is praying for them without ceasing. We have not ceased to pray for you, he says. Now, the idea here is that I don't think that Paul is saying that he never stops praying. All right, obviously, there were other churches, other people, and other needs that would occupy his life. But more it's more of an idea that he, he is consistent in his prayer. And when he is consistent in his prayer for this church, this is the content that he would be praying for them. And this idea about prayer comes up again in Colossians Chapter 4, verse 2, which says to continual steadfastly in prayer. Or maybe the next time you're reading uh, 1 Thessalonians, just notice the word constantly tied to the word prayer. Or in chapter 5 where it says pray without ceasing. So Paul's view of prayer is that it is constant and it's dedicated to the good of those whom he's praying for. Well, next, the, the, the next part of, of verse 9, it tells us what he's specifically asking for. And he says, he is asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. The big question here is, what does this mean? How, how can we be filled or full of the knowledge of the will of God? And I want to I make a case to you this morning that This means that a deep knowledge of God's word that is blended together with deep fellowship with Christ through the Holy Spirit is what causes us to be full of all wisdom that comes from outside of ourselves. Let me show you a few texts to help me kind of frame how I got there. So if you're in Colossians, turn with me to Colossians 3.16. It says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So notice that he, he starts it by saying, Let the word of Christ, the word of God, the scriptures, dwell in you richly. So let the word dwell. And the the companion phrase to that is actually in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says basically the same thing, but he says it in a a different way that that is really interesting. So in in verse 18 of chapter 5, he says, so he's talking about some some things to do and not do, some putting off and putting on. He starts with the putting off. In verse 18 he says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Look at verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord. So do you notice that the outcome in both passages is the same? Singing together praises and giving thanks to the Lord. And yet, he uses almost interchangeably this idea of letting the Word of Christ dwell richly and being filled with the Spirit. He's using them interchangeably notice also in chapter 6 of Ephesians when we look at the whole armor of God so in chapter 6 looking at verse 17 the second half of 17 it begins with the helmet of salvation but look at this connection in the middle of chapter 6 verse 17 the sword of the spirit which is the word of the Lord praying at all times in the spirit. So do you notice the the sword of the spirit is the word of God. Or think of you don't have to turn there but John 4:23, true worshipers are those who worship in both spirit and truth. It would seem that when Paul in the New Testament writes about this idea of walking with the Lord or or growing in your relationship with the Lord, it's to be filled and to be filled with what? The Holy Spirit and the word of God. They seem to go together. Intercha- they, they lock together. You can't have one without the other. And also, you can go to Romans chapter 12. You probably know that one. Chapter 12, verse 2, which says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So it's not the world that conforms our minds, but the renewal of our minds is done by Christ through the word, right? How we have to be conformed by something and if it's not the world, it has to be something else and how do we know what is discerning or what is the will of God? What is good? What is acceptable and perfect? If we don't know The scriptures. So we test everything. The word is what we test everything against, and it gives us the discernment to know what is and is not good and acceptable and perfect. And one more for now, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So starting in verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So we see here the connection between knowing the mind of God and knowing the things taught, the connection is the spirit. So I want to say that, that what I want to say is that this knowledge of God's will is primarily found through knowing his word and being led by his spirit. So you could also say this is sometimes called the revealed will of God, meaning that there is a will for you that God has told you by speaking his scriptures. He, wrote, he spoke to his apostles and the prophets to give us the law, the Old Testament, the Gospels, and the epistles, the letters. And I would say that knowing God's word, knowing his revealed will and fellowshipping with Christ will help you to learn about God's specific will for you in your circumstances. So again, this idea is if we know God's word and we're fellowshipping with him by the spirit through understanding of his word, that will help us know generally what to do that pleases God, which will lead us specifically in our own lives. So back in Colossians chapter one, verse nine, he continues to say, this being filled with the knowledge of his will, it says, in all spiritual wisdom, And understanding. So being filled with the knowledge of God's will isn't just an exercise in memorizing scriptures or some dry duty to set to a set of of arbitrary codes or commands, but it enlivens us. It dwells richly in us and draws us nearer to God. It works with the Spirit to reveal to us the experiential part of our faith. The commentator Sam Storm says it this way perhaps the best rendering is that the knowledge for which Paul prays for consists of all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, to know God's will is not only a matter of understanding what is pleasing to him, but also consists of experiential wisdom in knowing how to apply God's desires to the concrete realities and crises and decisions of everyday life. So as we grow in what we know, it informs how we think and how we respond to the realities of this life. Our lives are hard. They're full of difficult decisions every single day. How do we make them? We seek the wisdom from above by acknowledging and meditating on God's word, letting it dwell richly within us, which fills us with the Spirit and leads us to apply the Scriptures supernaturally to our lives because of the great work being done in us. So it's a blending of our responsibility to cling to and know the promises of God while trusting that he will show up and help us in our time of need. Remember James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask for it. God gives generously without reproach and it will be given to you. So this prayer begins with being rooted in the thoughts and wisdom of God and next it flows naturally to the outcome of this knowledge which is to action look with me at verse 10 so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him so what what comes next in Paul's logic the outcome of walking out the knowledge we have. That's his answer. The, the, the logic is, you now have this wisdom, so you got to do something with it. As I said earlier, Christianity and Bible reading are not acts in knowledge accumulation only. We accumulate to assimilate it into our daily lives. We take it in to live it out. We walk in a certain manner, too. It says that we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. If that doesn't sound like a high calling to you, maybe you should slow down and think about it. And we'll cover how we we do that in verse 11. But for now, Paul is going on to describe what walking worthy of the Lord will look like. Again, Paul practically, he gives us this clear picture of, of what our lives will look like when we start walking with the Lord in the ways he commands us. We see here that we will first, still in verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work. So this presupposes that knowing God's will will lead to a life of good works. This is a big theme in Paul's message for Christian living. A few quick texts to think about. You don't have to turn there, but let me read them to you. Ephesians 10, you know, 8 and 9 say, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But he goes on in verse 10 to say, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's Paul, right? So everybody thinks James is the, the New Testament author that tells us to do something. But Paul has multiple places where he talks about good works. Titus chapters 2 and 3, in in 2.14 it says, we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, why? To redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And Paul will go on to end the letter and, and Titus chapter 3 saying, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So not only will we have this new desire to pursue good works, we will also see the effect of God in our lives by seeing these works bear fruit. A great joy of good works powered by God in a life of being lived worthy of him is that what we do will grow and fruit will be seen. Now this, I want to say, this, this can look differently and, and in different ways. It's not uniform. This idea of bearing fruit is not uniformed. Fruit doesn't always look the same. So it can, can be hard to clearly define. It could look like it increased in numbers in a ministry. That's the one obviously all ministers want. But also it could be a deeper satisfaction in God while toiling in a ministry that isn't showing visible fruit. Some fruit, and maybe even most of it, is not seen with the naked eye. We store up treasures in heaven, and we bear fruit on earth, but they're linked together in in mysterious ways. So so God does amazing works, and and he bears unique fruit in spite of all that we might think he will do in ministries and in in our good, good works. The next thing he says that, after he says being walking in a manner worthy, fully pleasing, bearing fruit, he then says at the end of verse 10 increasing in the knowledge of God so in an interesting like circular motion being filled with the knowledge of God's will will lead to an increased knowledge of God himself as we walk with the Lord as we work the good works that he has set before us another byproduct will be knowing God and this is eternal life isn't it Jesus said in John 17:3 eternal life is knowing the father and knowing the Son whom he sent. Because just like the Scriptures are not meant to an end in themselves, this is what I'm trying to say. So just because knowing the Scriptures and reading the Scriptures are not just the end means in itself, so too growing in the knowledge and walking with the Lord is, is not just an act of doing something because we have to. Seeking God's will through his word and prayer by the Spirit leads to walking out good works and culminates with the growing knowledge of God. So it's all about fellowship with God and growing nearer to him through our amassing of wisdom, through, our, through prayer and through scripture intake. And we know God. We grow nearer to him by pursuing good works. Now, in verse 11, it says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. This is the good news of the grace of God in the Christian life. Where does the strength come from for for you to do all of of what we're talking about this morning? It's a surprising place if you're sitting here this morning thinking that God helps those who help himself. See, that's not how our God works. He is the God who calls and commands, but he is also the God who equips and strengthens. This is why the gospel is good news to us. We don't walk worthy. We don't think rightly. We don't pursue correctly without the enabling grace of God to do the things he's telling us to do. So if your spiritual resolutions this year don't include crying out to God, the God of all grace, you're missing the power of the gospel. Our walk with God is a supernatural walk because as we sang this morning in Acts 17, 25 tells us, in God we live and have breath and have our whole being. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. So if we're seeking to do even good spiritual things, like I want to read my Bible more, I want to pray more, I want to do more of this. If we're doing that apart from the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's a fool's errand. It's, it's, it will bear no spiritual fruit. But conversely, if we are strengthened with the power according to God's glorious might, he will give us the ability to walk in a manner worthy of him. So ditch the thinking that only your self-discipline is what you need to please God. It is his glorious might that empowers you to live this way. So we have not because we ask not. So ask God today to strengthen you by the power he supplies through his glorious might to, to live in a way that glorifies him. And now, the, the end of verse 11 and, and going into verse 12, there's, there's this blending together and there's this, this sent, these, these two words, with joy, that... People get really wound up about, does it go with, so I'll read you, it says, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. So people get really wound up. Does does the with joy go with the endurance and the patience, or does the with joy go with giving thanks to God, the Father? I would just say, use it as a hinge. It goes together. For all endurance and patience with giving thanks to the Father, we do it all with joy. Because think about what Paul is saying here. He is strengthening you with great power. God is strengthening you with great power to endure and to have patience in this life so that we can joyfully give thanks to our God in everything. The commentator H.A. Ironsides says it this way. In the hour of trial, a song of gladness will well up in the heart where the will of God is supreme. And so he adds, with joyfulness... Here is something that the natural man knows nothing of. Joy in the time of a trial. Gladness in the time of hardship. Songs in the night. Through the dark, Though the darkness be overwhelming, praises to the God of my salvation when nature shrinks and trembles. It was thus, it was this way, that the martyrs could rejoice in the arena when thrown to the lions. Or exult in the Lord when the flames leapt around them as they suffered at the stake. And many, many of sufferers all throughout the Christian era have been able to testify to the sustaining grace of God when the spirit seems about to be overwhelmed. The joy of the Lord is their strength. It's a beautiful picture that the world doesn't know. But we know that we can joyfully endure and and patiently endure the things that are set before us, giving thanks to the Father, that he is our great Savior and Deliverer. And so at the end of verse 12, we see that Paul, speaking of the Father, says, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light? So I would say that goes together with 13, which goes on to say, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul is ramping up this prayer. He takes us to lofty heights in our minds to some, some amazing thoughts about God our Father. What does it say about God our Father here? It says, God the Father is the one who qualified us for an inheritance. He is the one who delivered us. God is the one, the Father, who transferred us. And where did he transfer us? to the kingdom of his beloved son. And it's in his son that we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. So Christ is our qualification, but it is through God by which this redemption has been given. So I think oftentimes people think, and it's not right, but sometimes people will think, well, God's the, the, the angry, mean, holy one, and Jesus is the, the son that came to mitigate all of that. And yet this text flies in the face of that, and it says, no, God has had an active plan in salvation from the beginning, God the Father. The Father is the one that qualifies you. The Father is the one that has transferred you. He is the one that delivers you. Who does he deliver you to? To Christ, because Christ is our salvation. But they're not at odds. They are together on this. They're one in salvation. It's all a work of God from beginning to end. He qualifies, he delivers, he transfers, and he sent his son that we would be redeemed by that son and our sins would be forgiven. Two verses in John chapter 6 that say this. Jesus said of the Father, first in verse 31, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will not cast out. Or 644, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. So see how God the father and God the son are working together to seek and save and qualify and transfer those from the kingdom of darkness to the inheritance of the saints of, in light verse 12, which causes us a moment to pause and ask the question, have you been transferred? Have you been delivered to the kingdom of Jesus Christ? If you're sitting here this morning and the Spirit is revealing to you that your understanding of God and your understanding of his holiness and his greatness and his power in all things is revealing to you that you are a sinner. And what sin means is any thought, word, action, or motivation contrary to the scriptures. All who would pursue sin are separated from God himself. Isaiah 59.2 tells us that. So if you're here this morning and that is you, first acknowledge that you cannot save yourself. You cannot come to the Son. But if the Father is opening your eyes and drawing you in, He is showing you that Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life. Romans 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So if that is you, turn to the Lord, call on Christ, repent of your sin, believe, and you will be saved. So as we close this morning, what what can we take away from this text? Uh, Allegedly, I told you this was some sort of New Year's Eve text, and you're probably thinking to yourself, I don't know how he got there. And that's okay. I like to take the roundabout way, and I don't like to do things the way you would expect. But I referenced the idea of resolutions and the new year at the beginning. And so, so the question would be, what are some actionable items from this text that we could, we could maybe take into the new year? So the call in the Christian life is not, because I don't want you to be confused, the call in the Christian life is not let go and let God. So, so how does it work? And the answer, I think, comes from the quote uh, from the 4th century writer Augustine, where he said this, Command what you will, God, but grant what you command. So God calls us to great things, and he also strengthens us to do those great things. So this year, number one, set a plan to fill your heart and your mind with the word of God. We cannot grow in God's wisdom if we don't have the raw materials he has given us to use. We must know God and know what he has said. Without it, we're not going to go anywhere. You can't fill your car with air and expect it to drive. In the same way, you cannot be filled with air when what drives your life is the word of God. Two, seek the wisdom from God above, or prayer. The undercurrent of this text is fellowship with the, with the Trinity, being filled with the knowledge of his will and by, by being powered by his might and by giving thanks to the Father. Those are all spiritual works pursued by the believer under the power of the Holy Spirit. And what we do here is it's is all rooted in speaking to God through prayer. So as you seek God's will through reading the scriptures, speak to him through the power of the Spirit. Romans 8 says this about our relationship between the Spirit and God in prayer. Verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So notice, Paul draws it all together in Romans 8 to say, knowing the will of God and, and having the Spirit dwelling within us, they come together. And even when we don't know what to pray and we don't know what to think and we don't know what direction to go, the Holy Spirit intercedes, prays for us to the Father, to help reveal to us the will of God. And, and he speaks to us, to God, with groanings too deep for words. And you pair that with Hebrews 7, that, the, that Jesus sits on the throne and intercedes for us today. The whole trinity is involved in the fellowship and the prayers and the, and the enacting of our lives. The whole trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, all work together through our prayers and through our daily walk to, to draw us in and move us forward in the Christian life. And third and finally, lean into good works. Paul clearly sees the connection between the will of God and the way we live our lives. So this year, let your life be about good works. Whatever God would call you to do, whatever that is, part of this wisdom that we're being filled with will include direction on what serving him will look like. Be open to God's leading through being receptive to the Spirit by prayer and meditation on God's word. Your works will bear spiritual fruit and you will know God more fully, which is what we all want. We want to know God more fully. We want to know him better. And knowing him more and more as I, as I grow in, in my walk with the Lord, what I'm learning is that more and more often than not, this idea of, of amassing knowledge for knowledge's sake is not what draws me nearer and nearer to the Lord. Taking in the word of God and applying it into my life is what draws me nearer and nearer to God. And maybe you have the same testimony, but if not, this would be a great year to to test what I'm saying to you. Fill your minds and your hearts with the scriptures. Be filled with the Spirit and take that newfound power by by the Spirit himself to cause you to walk out your faith in good works. And those good works are many. If you're a parent, those are good works. If you're an employee, those are good works. If there are ministries that need someone to serve in, those are good works. All works done by the power of the Spirit are good works when it comes to caring for God's flock and for those before you. So these goals might seem modest, but they have eternal significance. And, they, and deep communion with Jesus are at the end of them. Let's pray. Well, Father, as, as we saw just now as, as in your word, and as I just said, these, these are modest goals. And yet these are the, the goals, the, the, the things that you've set before us. You've called us to walk in a manner worthy of your great name. And this is what you've called us to do. To fill ourselves with the word of Christ. To be filled by the Spirit. To walk out good works that you've set before us by the power you've you've instilled in us through the Holy Spirit. And while they they might not seem like mighty works, they might not be ten steps here, five steps there to, to a better Christian life and all that, but really what they are is they're, they're the things that eternally matter to you. Our lives are lives of worship. And we worship you through knowing your word and walking with you. So may we be daily worshipers this year. May we be Worshippers that walk with you day in and day out. May our time in the word, our time in prayer, and our time fellowshipping and, and going about the business you've given us be, be acts of worship to you. Romans 12, 1 that we didn't read, but it just reminds me that our lives are a spiritual sacrifice. Our lives are what we sacrifice to you in worship. And we do that through the many good works. So give everyone here that hears the sound of my voice Wisdom wisdom to know how to walk, wisdom to know the directions to go, and that ultimately they would be glorifying you in all that they say and do. Pray these things in the mighty saving name of Jesus. Amen.